1: I'm Jenna Ellis, and welcome to Just the Truth Podcast, sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find them at thomasmoresociety.org. This is going to be a little bit different of an episode than you have ever thought possible on the show, because I'm going to bring you backstage and into the real life of what's happened to me and basically my two older brothers, because you guys are the ones who love on me, you pick on me, um, we have amazing, ridiculous travels together, and you may be wondering why we're all kind of sitting like this. Well, we literally just got to Dallas for the National Religious Broadcasters Convention from Florida ryan and i flew in very late thus yeah. uh we didn't actually plan to wear any of this but i'm <laughs> sunburned from florida what are you talking about i wear this all the time the, the salmon you know whatever yeah. but backstage we are going to have a frank and honest conversation and eric thanks for being here eric metaxas host of the eric Metax show ryan helfenbein who's the executive director of the standing for freedom center and uh, we just came from the faith and freedom conference doesn't the Road seem to majority. possible.
2: It really doesn't. I mean, there's been too much happening. And we have to explain to people, because not everybody's, you know, in the know, the Faith and Freedom uh, Conference, once a year Ralph Reed puts it on, and it's a smorgasbord of, you know, conservative uh, Christian politicians and and, and on and on and on. This year, uh, it was a little controversial, uh, but I'm not going to say why.
1: Uh, Yes, we are, though.
2: No, I said I'm not going to say why. (laughs) Uh, you have to say why, because it's your show.
1: Uh, oh, so see, see, like the older brother, he's putting it back on Yes, You have to say this. Well, you probably saw that Vice President Pence was at uh, this conference, yeah. and all of this mm-hmm. was very interesting because he came out on stage, and he has been, up until January 6th, was hailed as a great conservative. There were boos, there were heckles, there were yells of traitor. This is very interesting there in calls? this.
2: Cat cat calls. Calls. What about jeering?
1: I, I mean, would characterize it as jeering. Did
2: anybody blow? You're the a, author, did though. anybody blow a raspberry? <laughs> I just want to get. I just want to know exactly what happened.
1: You can look at Twitter for the yeah. exact footage, but okay. there was definitely people uh, calling him traitor. Mm-hmm. So, so your well, look, it was, was a
2: big crowd. I'm not surprised. Look, look, it's preposterous to think. That after what, in other words, this is not saying who's right or wrong, and I have my opinions, right. and I will be happy to share those opinions, but what I'm saying is that you just have to look at the quote-unquote optics. Given what most people have been thinking about the election and, and about Pence's failure to do what everyone hoped he certainly would, it would be preposterous to think that someone in that vast crowd would not be actively booing and hissing Um, I don't know how many people did that, because some people are polite, some people are coming from a different point of view, but the idea that he would come into an environment like that and not be uh, jeered. uh, In fact, I think probably the crowd was fairly buttoned up when you think about what some people might have done or said, Um, but we shouldn't be surprised. The only thing we might be surprised at is that Pence himself doesn't seem to understand this dynamic which is why I made reference to it in my comments the the following day because he's somebody that you know I would have considered a friend he's a brother in Christ and a a dear man but I do believe he made a tremendous probably politically fatal fatal mistake and you know he needs to understand that and probably by being there uh, in what I would consider is a a warm environment honestly Mm -hmm. Uh, Ralph Reed and the Mm -hmm. folks who run that they always are willing to hear from people on different sides and, and, and stuff, but...
1: And historically, I mean, he, he is an evangelical Christian and would have been beloved at this conference, yeah. and if you look at the history of the last couple of years that he's spoken there, he was very warmly received, well, yeah. and so, I mean, this looks... But, you know, Sir so, so Ryan, yeah. you know, from the perspective... I was in the room but, when it happened. Yeah, so so yeah. describe that moment, because a lot of people are kind of shying away from it, but we want to talk about that.
3: Sure, absolutely. I think that when you look in it, it, I'm going to echo what Eric has said. Saying you have a room of a thousand plus people, maybe fifteen hundred people in the room, plus those that are watching online. Uh, you were not surprised. I even I even turned to my colleague who was to the left of me, and I said, "Get ready, it's going to happen. Someone's going to say something." And sure enough, it did. I mean, it wasn't just one person; it was several people. And so you imagine if there's just a dozen people that are have the uh, the urge to say something, there's probably even 100, 200, 300, 400 more who are not and they, and they want to, but I will say Lindsey Graham was later in the room uh, the same day gave a speech. Ironically enough, people stood up and were protesting him because he didn't make more about election integrity. Mm-hmm. And so for those people who are saying, look, we have facts, we have information. When you ignored that information, and there are varying degrees of positions on. But if you ignore the most basic, obvious truth that 80 million people would agree on, because they all voted, that's like gaslighting. It's like a it's like a form of abuse. Well, what it really yeah. is,
2: is you suddenly recognize that Lindsey Graham has been part of this problem all along. In other words, he may do things you like. We all love the emotional moment he had at the Kavanaugh hearings, but when you see people play the game that's why in my speech which I hope will be online at some point soon but when you play the game people are now done with you you can't play the game anymore because things have come to such a a terrible pass in this nation if you cannot speak the truth if you cannot address the elephants in the room the rhinos in the room if you aren't willing to do that not only are you done, you should be done, and I will be very vocal in making Mm -hmm. sure that you're done. And so I even called out Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, I would consider him a hero in so many ways, but he, uh, in a weak moment, referred to the January 6th folks uh, as terrorists. I I hope I'm not misunderstanding that, but the point is, if that is the case, he needs to publicly uh, say something to correct that, Mm -hmm. because We are, uh, we're at a very serious moment. People need to know what's right and wrong and need to be courageous. And I have to say that I don't get the impression that many of these players, McConnell down the line. And we're
1: going to have to take a break right here. But I want to come back and talk more about this on our backstage version of Just the Truth.
0: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you.
1: back to Just the Truth. I'm Jenna Ellis, and I am here in kind of our backstage version at the National Religious Broadcasting Convention with my two very good friends, Eric Metaxas, who's the host of The Eric Metaxas Show, and Ryan Helfenbein, who is the Executive Director of the Standing for Freedom Center at Liberty University. We were all just together in Orlando, just flew in today uh, to Dallas, where we're at right now, and uh, we were at the Faith and Freedom Road to Majority Conference, and we were talking right before the break, Eric, about the necessity to be truth tellers because so much of the political environment historically pre-Trump I would say from especially the Republicans is you've got to stay kind of in party narrative and if you break from the family from the talking points then you, you can't do that and you're ousted but what I think was so remarkable about the four years of Donald Trump is that he was the courageous leader that forced people to get off the fence. You stand and declare, and now Americans are no longer willing to abide by the people who are all talk and no action, like perhaps Pence.
2: Well, I guess that's the question is that when the chips were down on January 6th, um, there was a moment to deliver uh, to send things back to the states. People hoped he would do that, and he didn't do that. Now, I really think that in politics, when you're representing people, um, you really have to take into account they're, they're looking for you to deliver, to do what they want you to do. And I think maybe people feel that a lot of politicians, they're sort of willing to do that unless maybe they think it's a, it'll cost them something, and then they, they shrink uh, at the last minute from doing that thing. And I think we've gotten to a point where it's simply too serious. We cannot have leaders playing that game anymore. That's what got us into this, into this trouble. So I, I really, um, I feel like it's a, it's a good reckoning that we're having.
1: Yeah, we and, and it gets it. us into, Ryan, a broader conversation, yeah. I think, about uh, leadership and also justice. Yeah. Because what the American people are feeling, and what I even think that Donald Trump is feeling, is a, a sincere and visceral sense of injustice. Because the American people know the truth about the 2020 election. We know that uh, the, that at least six states were thoroughly corrupted, irredeemably compromised. Yeah. We know that the Republican state legislatures refused to stand up and be bold. And now look at Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State out of Georgia, who's like, oh, I have this 29-page memo that I just sort of pocketed and said, we're fine, the election was fine. Well, the truth will always come out in the end. And so this principle of justice is what I see the American people really wanting, and that goes to why the church should not abdicate its authority in speaking into culture, making sure that it is the fulcrum of civil society.
3: Yeah, absolutely. We can't abandon the word justice. I think one of the things among conservatives, we champion freedom. You can't have freedom without truth. You can't have freedom and truth without justice, right? And so there do, there does need to be a moment in which there is a vindication. And those vindications are coming, uh, but they are late in arriving. Um, when we had that moment, those 60 days, I mean, it, it seemed like an eternity from, from the time oh, yeah, of the LA, right? Yeah. You lived through that. That was yeah. an awful moment. You certainly lived through that. that. was an awful moment for all of us. But there were many people who failed to act in that moment. And I think that leadership is recognizing that everything can be weighted on this one single thing. In other words, you can have a whole career. You can spend eight years in Congress. You can be a governor. Then you can be vice president, Well, whoever. I'm not just saying Pence, but it could be anybody. And unfortunately, sometimes history is weighted on a single decision. Yeah. Uh, Neville Chamberlain, a single decision. Do you know anything else about Neville Chamberlain? Well, this
2: is the horror, and that's exactly what I was thinking of with with Pence. I thought, Mm -hmm. sometimes history delivers you to an odd moment and unfortunately uh... it becomes you know to use a legal term dispositive Mm -hmm. and basically now the the good news and why i said what i said uh, at faith and freedom was i thought but those of us who are christians we believe in grace we believe in forgiveness but in order for that you have to have honesty Mm -hmm. you have to have people understand the situation come clean, say I was wrong, wh- whatever it is. You have to have that.
1: Biblical restoration requires repentance first. True. And an acknowledgment of sin or wrongdoing or whatever yeah. it is, so that then you can have genuine forgiveness. And you had a word yeah. for that,
2: too. Repentance. Repentance. Yeah. Well, yeah, I actually talked about that. You know, it's kind of a funny thing. I, I was saying my father, uh, I picked up a lot of Greek, obviously, from my, my dad, and he would always say uh, there's a Greek saying, uh, the guy, who's going to do the dirty work to take the snake out of the hole? Who's going who's to do what nobody else wants to do? And I believed at the conference somebody needed to say what I said and I hope I said it graciously, but I thought this is preposterous that we who claim to be free in this nation and those of us by faith who ought not even to fear death, fear nothing except offending God, that we would shrink from saying the right thing because we're worried about our careers, our social standing. And I thought, what if we come to? Are we a nation of cowards? Are all the people we elected cowards, that they're worried about their viability going forward more than about truth? I mean, this is as basic as it gets. And I just think
3: that this is the reckoning. We've got to have
2: this reckoning.
1: and
3: I was going to say, and I'm jumping into that, you're going to find out more and more in these moments who really believes in freedom and who just admires freedom. There's a lot of people who will stand at, at the distance and they'll, they'll admire truth, they'll admire freedom, they'll admire bravery, but they're not willing to risk their own necks in order to ensure that we
1: have it. Oh, that is so true. And what we saw so clearly in the aftermath of the 2020 elections, and I think the disappointment and the feeling of injustice was how many Americans and how many of our great military leaders who literally put their lives on the line every day would have willingly traded places with any one of those state legislative leadership or with the vice president at that moment to say, I wish that it had been me to be able to stand up for my country in this moment and to see that we had so many people who were cowardly when they had the opportunity. And and just for clarification, it's not to say for those who advocated that Pence could have directed which set of delegates, that wasn't what we were advocating. for. We were advocating for him to simply not let the potato explode in his hand, right? right. To say we have that's to send this image. back to <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, to to have we all played hot potatoes.
2: Right, called. right, um, yeah, right.
1: And and that's what it was. Everybody was juggling the hot potato. They didn't want the timer to go out on them. And what Pence should have done, in my view. And what I even advised the administration at that point was he could have simply posed the question back to the states and said, Are you really willing state legislatures who textually are obligated under the constitution, it's your responsibility how the delegates get selected. Are you telling us that these certifications are according to your state law?
2: Okay, so let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. If he had done that. And do your best to answer this. Why do you think he didn't do that? Cowardice. You mean that in a positive sense?
1: I mean that, that in was a. a joke.
2: There's no yeah. positive no, no, sense. No, no, no. I
1: mean that, no, no, no. But I mean that is in, and, and actually how I took that question was um, positive action versus omission, right? And so I'm saying yes in terms of, I think it was an active, active cowardice
2: mm-hmm.
1: rather well, than the, passive. The reason
2: I ask is because, you know, when we talk about faith and politics and we say, for example, in this example, he's a Christian, da, da, da. And I think I've come to a place where I don't care what people say they believe, because Trump could be a pagan and an adulterer, but if he does a good thing, he did a good thing. The people hired him to do X, Y, and Z. Even if he isn't consciously, uh, ardently pro-life, if he pushes for pro-life things, I say, you know what, what he really believes is between him and his God, but we want people to enact policies and to, to act in, in, in various ways. And so I think th- there's something healthy about what's happening because I think the American people are being forced to look at this. It really doesn't matter. I mean, George yeah. W. Bush was an evangelical Christian. Who cares? Why do I care? If, it's not, if it is not reflected in his actions as president, it is meaningless. Jimmy Carter yes. was an evangelical a Christian. Joe
1: Biden says he's a freaking Catholic. Yeah. That well, means yeah, nothing. Right.
3: No, he is a freaking Catholic. He's just not an orthodox Catholic. <laughs> well, it's yeah. James, brother of Jesus, James chapter 2, he says, Show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith by what I do. So if you say you believe in freedom, you believe in this great American experiment, you were taking the oath of office, theoretically, many people can take the oath. Everybody takes the oath of office. Uh, are you willing to stand for what you believe
1: in? Are you willing to be like Martin Luther, Mm -hmm. who stood up and said, here I stand Mm -hmm. I can do no other. He stood on the eternal truth of the word of God when it would have been so easy to back down and history will judge everyone how they do, but it doesn't matter I mean everybody always talks about right side of history versus whatever. We, We can see obviously how, you know, history will go back into your Twitter feed and and say, oh, what was fine in the nineteen eighties is now hideously racist today or whatever. Yeah. I don't care how history judges me, I don't care how if anybody calls me names. What I care about is was I as faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ as I know He always will be to and, me.
2: And again, to, to take it you can take it out of the realm of faith. There have been innumerable men and women, mostly men, who have literally given their lives for freedom. Now, if they were wondering about, hey, how am I going to be doing in ten years? I don't want to risk it. Uh, Maybe I could, maybe I could hedge my bets, and I'll, I'll, you know, live to to fight another day. I mean, we do them a disservice, and if we do not remember that literally millions of Americans have died, so this is normative. This is normative. When you live in a free country, that is normative behavior. That is not heroic behavior or if it is heroic her- heroism is normative so it's not about being a martin luther it's a simply about doing your duty as a free citizen and especially as a representative of thousands and millions of free citizens this is what we ought to expect i mean ought to demand anything less is unacceptable and i think that if it took this to happen you know here we are
1: yeah and and we're going to have to take a pause in the conversation right now but that point is so true that, that this shouldn't have been a ridiculous act of extreme heroism. It should have just been what our founders would have done as a matter of course. So we're going to be right back to talk backstage here with my good friends Eric Metaxas and Ryan Helfenbein with more on Just the Journal.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: To just the truth and our backstage version here at the NRB with my good friends eric metaxas and ryan helfenbein eric metaxas of course the host of the eric metaxas show you will always get the blunt truth from him on that show and ryan Helfenbein, who is the executive director of the standing for freedom center and we're talking about our recent experience at the uh, faith and freedom coalition's road to majority and In this conversation that we've been having, Eric and Ryan, we're talking about courageous leadership. We're talking about what that means in a generation that can't even understand the difference or refuses to recognize the difference between men and women who have thoroughly emasculated men, have thoroughly butched up women to say that everybody wants to be non-binary and gender fluid and all of this crazy. And your point, Eric, that you made just before the break, was this type of heroism that we should have expected from our Vice President to simply say, there is a question. And the law says, under 3 USD 15, the law actually says that if there is an ongoing argument and there hasn't been a final determination on these certifications, we can't accept them. We're gonna pose the question back to the states. Imagine if the states had been forced to certify their results at that point in time, what a difference it would be making right now, and your point about why should that have been such a great act of heroism? Shouldn't that have just been what we could have expected? Well, but there's tremendous
2: irony here. I I believe if uh, Vice President Pence had done that, ironically, it would have guaranteed a glorious political future for him. And so it breaks my heart for him as a friend and yeah. a brother that he didn't do that. But I guess the larger question still is we're talking about heroism and, and, and these kinds of things. And in, in a funny way, when you bring up things, I mean, the madness of the transgender stuff, of, I guess it was yesterday, uh, a New Zealand weightlifter who's a man, identifying as a woman, is crushing the competition because he identifies as a woman and he's going to be allowed into the Olympics, right? Now, I don't have an issue with that person. I have an issue, and this is the point I think, with the people in authority allowing this. There will always be crazy or off people. God bless these people. God bless this poor soul, this deluded soul, right? Mm -hmm. But what about the officials who don't have a modicum of guts? to say, excuse me, no, we're not going to allow you a man, or whatever you are, you're not going to be allowed to to compete against these women, because these women have worked and worked and worked and killed themselves to get into the Olympics. This is kind of a joke. What's funny is that's the most basic common sense. Any idiot on the planet can get that, but the Olympic officials and the leaders in various areas in society, they seem to shrink from
3: that. And what is,
2: what is
1: that?
3: What yeah. What is that? Well, I think that's us losing our virtue. I think that's part of us losing morality in this country, that people lack the courage, the moral foundation, to actually speak up and to speak out. And so when you look, it, it's, it is a spiritual principle. But one of the things, if you go back to Rome, why did Rome fall? I mean, ultimately, they lost their virtue. And over time, those things that were the good, the beautiful, the true, the transcendentals, and I think that's... Basic to all of nature really. I mean every great civilization has morals and ideals uh, And truths that they espouse and so it is this this unreckoning silence where no one is is going to say anything and through all those capitulations uh, Finally it comes to a fever pitch and all of society is basically being ruled by a minority of radical crazy people
1: well, and it goes back to Romans 1 and mm-hmm. talking about this, uh, which our good friend John MacArthur uh, speaks on so well in, in his teaching, talking about Romans 1 and saying that when you are as a society pursuing evil, yeah. you are actively uh, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, then God will give you over to a depraved mind where you can't even think logically and rationally and what we're seeing with things like the Olympics. I mean you're talking about a less than one percent of the population that now somehow we are worried about offending them and their lies mm-hmm. than we are about protecting 50 percent of the population of real women yeah. I mean and women's rights. I mean that's so insane as a concept that we have to be so depraved as a culture and I'm talking about you know, right. more yeah. than America But we have lost this sense, as you mentioned, virtue. But this is why, Eric, what you and I were talking about um, the other night in Florida was how we live in these siloed, uh, newsmaker sorts of venues now where theology is within the realm of the church and politics is within the realm of the news. And what we try to do and what this conversation is about is answering Eric's text messages and bridging the gap between theology and politics because that's where we can't have civil society without a grounding in theological truth.
2: Well, I mean, and let's face it, there's no such thing as theological truth. There's just truth. Truth. And, and the idea that there could be such a thing as Christian truth or political truth, who, let's go backwards to where do we get the idea that truth is like a hydra? There's only truth Mm-hmm. There's only this thing called truth. And so, you know, obviously theologians are going to parse it differently, whatever. but at the end of the day, you're still dealing with truth. Mm-hmm. And there are times when certain ideologies, you know, push to their extremes. You realize that they're taking you away from truth. I mean, somebody can make an idol of theology and forget about mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. You think, really? Of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the living as, as Christians and trying to live in the truth it, it, it's not an easy thing. You have to hold many things in tension and you have to know when do I have grace and when does the hammer come down and I've got to fight. And you might get it wrong, but we're all trying to t- trying to live in that. And, and I think that the easy path is simply to say, well, you know what, uh, that's above my pay grade mm-hmm. to quote a former president. And you pretend like, you, you know, that's that's for other people to deal with. And it's like, no, it's not for other people. Mm-hmm to deal with. You have got to take a stand, but you've been given an easy out. You can say, "Oh, I'm not a doctor. I don't know." Well, that's ridiculous. Everybody is responsible for the basics. Yes. And so when you divide things into, well, that's the political thing and that's the theological thing. And I do think people are always they're looking for those cheap outs. Yeah. And I and I think that a lot of uh politicians, they will they will do that. If they can have some kind of a plausible uh, way out, they'll they'll take that, and I guess it is we, the people, who have to demand mm-hmm. that they do more than that. And if you're not ready to do more, get out. You have no you have no business being in leadership. If if you're being That's blackmailed, so and you say, "Well, I couldn't do the right thing because they have this on my kids," whatever, I say, "Well, guess what? Either you say I don't care and I'm going to speak anyway, or you need to resign." Yesterday, you have no business being in power, and be beholden to somebody or to something other than representing the truth and the people you represent. It is is
1: also yeah. true for the church. I am so sick of churches and ministries who are beholden to their donors above the Word of God. And if that is the ministry angle and all of these churches, parachurch organizations, they'll say, well, I can't really... You know, go out on this issue. I can't speak out on that one because you know my supporters yeah. Yeah. won't like me. That's you're not the church anymore. What are you doing?
3: Well, look, you're not trusting God with your income. Yeah, so. that's true. And I want to go back to something you and when you framed it out at the very beginning, you're talking about politics and theology. One of the things that we've done in kind of the modern era is to separate those two. And the irony of this whole kind of woke ideology, sort of Marxist 2.0 kind of movement that's going on with critical race theory and everything else. For the church, it's really a political ideology masquerading as a religious one. And out there in the public square, it's really a religious ideology underneath this. I mean, if you look at what Black Lives Matter is doing in terms of they're even talking about doing seances to ancestral spirits. This is a religious movement. It's not just social justice, it's a religious movement underneath that. And I think the problem we see today is that we've separated those things. Oh, I'm a doctor, I can't really talk about this. Or, oh, I'm a lawyer, I can't really say this. I mean, I, that's not my area of expertise. All, all matters of truth are theological inherently because of God. You don't have to go to a university uh, or, or a seminary to become a theologian. In fact, some of the better ones today haven't, actually, uh, because that's where you get ruined. Um, but, the, but the reality is is that they're all interconnected and the Enlightenment uh, project is what separated all those things. Let's right. keep the peas away that's from right. the carrots so we can't talk about... So you go to law school and you never learn about virtue. Right. You never learn about uh, any kind of theist, theistic proofs or understanding of things. It's
1: just case law. Right? Yeah, and it's just arbitrary and whatever the collective majority and that's why the majority is the only thing that matters. Right. And if the majority matters,
2: you have ceased to be... Uh, a, a republic in the way that the American uh, republic was founded you, you, it is never about what the majority think, it is, it's about what is true and when the majority steps out of line with that you have the constitution mm. uh, and you have other checks and balances because what if everybody votes for something that is unconstitutional that is wicked, yeah. you're supposed mm-hmm. to have checks and balances for that And but the issue of taking virtue let's say out of uh, education we all know it. it is ridiculous like there's no such thing everything falls apart because if it's all about pragmatics there is no truth and if there's no truth why shouldn't I do anything right because then
1: there is no objective standard and the, the brilliant element and there were so many that our founders embedded in our system of government was to separate powers so that there were those checks and balances so that if we had a runaway Congress that was enacting evil even with the majority the judicial branch in review could say, no, that is not what uh, what our country was found on. That is unconstitutional. If the executive ran away with this so that there was not one sovereign king, there is one sovereign king, Jesus. And our entire world view Mm -hmm. Of our US system of government is that we hold truth to be self-evident that all men are created equal, we're endowed by God our Creator, and with certain unalienable rights. And if we recognize that as our founders did, and understand that the mandate of the Constitution is only with that authority, we cannot enact evil we have to make sure that we are always consistent with that standard. And that's what's been lost today with all of the politicking. And we're going to talk more about this. And people really need to understand this as we move forward to be patriots, principled patriots. So we'll be right back with my good friends Eric Metaxas and Brian Helfenbein here on the backstage version of Just
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: Back to just the truth and our behind-the-scenes, backstage sort of version as uh, we're talking about some really important things here with my good friend Eric Metaxas, who's host of the Eric Metaxas Show, and Ryan Helfenbein, who's the executive director of the Standing for Freedom Center. And I promise we're going to get into a little bit more light-hearted, backstage sort of fun from our uh, our trip to Florida in the next segment. But I want to uh, finish this really great dialogue with you guys uh, because this is what's so important that I think civics has, has been thrust into the spotlight in a way over the last several years that we haven't really talked about as a country, at least in my lifetime. That's the
2: point. And yeah.
1: that's, that's the point. And so moving forward, uh, for people who are saying, I want to understand how to bridge this and, between you know, theology, politics, all this stuff, and really come down to it's all about truth, then how can we move forward in politics as Christians and not excise ourselves? And believe in this myth of you know separation of church and state and all yeah. of these leftist talking points, saying it's only the Christians that can't go into the public sphere. Because you know, it's fine for everybody else, the atheists. Well, everybody can bring their worldview right. but not the Christians.
2: Well, uh, a couple of years ago, I wrote a book called If You Can Keep It, mm-hmm. uh, The Forgotten Promise of American Liberty. And when I wrote that book, I was utterly astonished at how I didn't really myself understand the basics, it's not complicated, it's simple, of what liberty really is, how the founders structured it, why virtue is not just important, but utterly crucial, uh, and how faith is utterly crucial. Mm-hmm. Now, you can't legislate faith, you can't force people to go to church, whatever. no, of course not, but the founders said, however, if you don't have it, liberty goes away. I never understood that. And people try to spin it into a, you know, a theocratic talking point, like we want to enforce that You cannot enforce it. You're talking about freedom, self-government, people are free. But if you don't see the value of faith, particularly Christian faith, in our founding and in the uh, the carrying on over 250 years, of it, if you don't understand that, no wonder things are falling apart so the crisis in which we find ourselves now it is the classic teaching moment where everybody says oh my goodness we are almost going over the cliff we've forgotten this and this and this and this So obviously in my book I try to say everything as simply as I can but just for our purposes here America is an idea it is not an ethnic group it is not if you don't understand these basics there really is no way we can function as America we're Mm -hmm. responsible for these things and we get to say I'm an American citizen but really you can't really be an American citizen unless you get this stuff and unless you live it out in your life and sometimes that means literally dying for freedom but what it means just for all of us is dying every day to self and saying I'm going to do the right thing because I believe God wants me to do the right thing. He'll take care of the details. But that's my job, mm-hmm. and it's only because for two and a half centuries we've had most people living that way yeah. that we have enabled ourselves to continue to be free. And if you want to lift out freedom to the rest of the world, that it would do anything to live as we live, we need to keep the flame bright here uh, in America. So it's a, it's a really a sacred charge, mm-hmm. and I think that because things have gotten so bad. People are beginning to understand we need to get serious about it. Yeah, Yeah. and
1: and we can't miss the essential element of looking back over world history and, and American history to understand that when you say God takes care of the details, that doesn't mean that he takes care of it in our ways or to our satisfaction because there were so many... I mean, look at the murders. Look yeah. at people and uh, look at the disciples who for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, His death and his resurrection, they were willing to suffer. Mm-hmm. They were willing to literally be burned at the stake, to be crucified upside down because they refused to recant the truth of the gospel. And in America today, it seems like we're so squeamish about getting canceled, oh no. When we should be so firmly reliant on truth and on this great gift that we have of testifying to the truth every day mm. that the only thing we fear is God himself.
3: Yeah. You know, it's interesting, more, more so than ever, we have to be training up the next generation on answering the question, first of all, what do you love about this country? We're losing a sense of ourselves, our cultural identity as Americans. What makes this country great? When I say cultural, I'm not even talking about the abstraction of truth and liberty and all those principles. I'm talking about like the, the, I'm talking about like mom, apple pie, and baseball. These are the nostalgia is a powerful, powerful thing. And we have to remind people about what they love about this place called home. And so, faith and freedom—they're inextricably linked. We have to we have to teach that. But if we can't get a common identity of what it means to be Americans, you're seeing right now July 4th is on the verge, verge of, in some places, of being canceled. Some places were are we're, uh, um, celebrating Juneteenth. That's great. God bless them. But absolutely do not cancel July 4th celebrations. July 4th is what made all wow. of this possible. And so you're seeing what the left is is just absolutely euphoric and enthusiastic about. They want to get rid of a sense of our common identity.
2: Well, this is, Lincoln called it the mystic chords of memory. And he, again, I wrote about this in my book, If You Can Keep It. I discovered this when I was writing the book. And I was utterly astonished at Lincoln's grasp of what we're talking about. I don't think there was anyone who has ever understood it better than Lincoln did. He even spoke about it. He was a young man. He was in his late 20s. He gave a speech at the the Springfield Men's Lyceum. He was like 28 years old. And he talks about these very things. And it really is beyond belief that uh, a country lawyer, he was barely a lawyer at this point, could understand these things and understand that it it is ineffable things. The mystic courts of memory, you cannot legislate that. But if you don't give people uh, a love for Nathan Hale, a yeah. young man who gave his life for the country, and then nobly says, uh, my only regret is that I have but one life to give, if you don't get choked up at that, yeah. you are hard-hearted, you're dead. You have to understand, beautiful young people gave their lives, when you, when you know those stories and you celebrate those stories, it changes things. I, my, my daughter and I years ago memorized together, she was like eight, we memorized Paul Revere's Ride. Mm-hmm. by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow and you know when you're eight years old you don't get choked up but when you're the father mm-hmm. and you're reading this poem I got choked up because I thought in my whole adult life I have not really understood that fathers went to their deaths for liberty when you really see it it's so beautiful and you recognize and you say this is this is what makes anybody great mm-hmm. to, to do what is right when there's, a, when there's a price. So if we don't teach our kids the stories of Nathan Hale and, and Paul Revere's ride and the details, whatever. In other words, if you don't inculcate a love of the best of what America has been, it, go, it goes away. And frankly, that goes for any culture. You want to teach the, the greatest of, of who we are and why we celebrate what we do. And what Ryan's been saying, that, that people, to try to divide and you think, wow, that is it is wrong for everybody no one wins we all die you're sawing the limb that you're sitting on and we ha- we have to celebrate uh what we have in common and understand and this, that it's what keeps us going this is
1: actually a biblical principle as well where god yeah. says set a monument to yep. what I have done for you. Ebenezer stone. See that throughout scripture. Homes, yeah. 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 And the great cloud of witnesses to say, look at the stories mm-hmm. of the faithful who came before, not because, you know, they were these these uh, they they weren't just regular people, but because they believed in the promises of God and they were willing to sacrifice everything else for their faith in those promises. And that's what we have to teach and inspire our young people today is to be surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, not just in America, but throughout biblical scripture. And we're going to talk about this more and maybe get a little more lighthearted. Can we come right back here on just a minute?
3: Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with bite and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks.
1: Welcome back to Just The Truth, and I have had such a fabulous conversation tonight with my good friends Eric Metaxas and Ryan Helfenbein, and part of the reason that I wanted to have this conversation, even though it's backstage, it's, uh, you know, we're literally off the airplane coming here, is because these kinds of conversations that we want to bring you all into are the conversations that we have all the time and yeah. these conversations that are real they are biblically founded and they are getting to the heart of the matter we're just speaking truth and encouraging one another these conversations need to happen daily among Americans so that we can remind ourselves that it's not just me that believes in truth I'm not the minority here and that's what I love that the two of you are in my life and that you are willing to have so much fun and also so much like, you yeah. know, crazy times uh, with me speaking truth together.
3: Yeah. Amen. I, I, you know, I'm reminded sometimes moments in history have been heavy. Uh, General Eisenhower used to tell his uh, his staff, hey, smile, okay? Uh, carry yourselves with a smile. Look, the enemy's pressing down. There's a lot of things that you would say, man, this is a time to be miserable. No, 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 it's time to be happy, okay, mm-hmm. and joyful. Christians are the only ones who can laugh and mean it, okay? Uh, so I would just say encourage people. There are there are all kinds of moments of levity and to take courage and, and to have heart. I'll just say, um, spent a wonderful time at Disney yesterday. All right. Now, look, kind of don't go Disney to World just yet. I, I want to say one good thing. Okay? There's a lot of things where you say, oh, Disney. Well, we were there was a pavilion set up uh, at Epcot. Uh, for the United States, and it was at the very, very back.
1: The American Adventure. The
3: American Adventure. And in that thing, and there were a ton of people that were there, and it was a little bit dated, it was a little bit cheesy, but in this present cultural moment where fomenta- there's a fomentation of hatred and and uh, vitriol, uh, this was incredibly uh, just gen- genuine, uh, nostalgic, uh, love of country, and, and it was a teachable moment. It just kind of marched through two hundred years of American history, and I thought this is what people need more than ever. Walt Disney had this vision of not just being an entertainment company way, way back in the thirties, forties and fifties, but being one that could be a kind of an extended classroom mm-hmm. to teach young people about what heroes were, real heroes in, in America. We do have heroes. Not everybody got it right, but we need to bring those stories back. You were talking about Paul Revere's Midnight Ride, I mean,
1: that's yeah. an amazing thing, and, and to be proud to be an American, and to have a place that mm. he wanted to say, traditional families come, have fun with your children, yeah. teach yeah. them a love of country. Which now we've, you know, we've said, oh, that's hatred, that's Christian nationalism. You know? Hey, look, it's if, th- this is
2: the whole thing. If you want to talk about the myopia of Americans, okay, only people who are utterly myopic
3: yeah. would
2: not look beyond America and say, oh, you don't like America? Why don't you move to Saudi Arabia for five <laughs> years? <laughs> shut up, move there, and then come back and you tell me how you feel about America. Or wait, you don't like Saudi Arabia, why don't you go to North Korea? Why don't you go just to China? Why don't you go to any of these countries, tell me how do you compare what they experience with us? Because my mother and father grew up in uh, East Germany and my dad grew up in Greece, they saw evil, they saw suffering. When you experience that, you have a completely different view. So it is only Dramatically myopic Americans who would not understand that this is the greatest nation in the history of the yes. world. It doesn't. You don't have to be a jingoistic chest-beating idiot to know that there is no question that what we have here is a gift from God, and we've been blessed to be a blessing. So we need to keep the flame alive for all those around the world who would do anything to have what we have. Absolutely. And it is it is important. When are we going to get lighthearted? It's
1: yes, important. and I was just I was going to segue into that because. Yeah. We, you know, a lot of people see all of us talking all the time and think that this is just very, you know, we we have all of these really heavy conversations all the time. Right. Well, this weekend we didn't, and you have a great story because now... Even though we went to Disney World yesterday, you have now been to Disney Springs and you love it now?
2: Disney Springs, I wouldn't say love. (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't even say like, but let me say this. Um, You you know, the other night, my wife and I arrived in Orlando and we were just exhausted, but I hadn't really eaten anything. And you and who was with us, David Brody, we were like, oh, maybe we'll get a bite. So I thought I've got just enough energy maybe to go downstairs, you know, to the bar and get a snack. And I go downstairs and you show up. And you say, I've got an Uber, and we're going to go to Disney Springs. And it was like one of those things where I wasn't really processing what you were saying. And the next thing I know, uh, I'm in an Uber alone with a woman. I think you were the woman. And we were going to this place called Disney Springs. And I'm I'm like, you know, where where am I going? So we get to this place. Evidently, the restaurants at the Gaylord weren't good enough for you. And so you had to take us off site in an Uber. And we're dumped at this place, and then we had to walk it was a baton death march through the asphalt and cement. The magic <laughs> <to get laughs> and, and the, the
1: culture and the wonderful thing. experience of and, Disney's And Friday. I was like why
2: am I here? This is. And then I realized that my friend and my sister in Christ, Jenna Ellis, is a flawed human being.
0: <laughs> because up until that point, I
2: just thought, she's everything. But I realized that this woman is so in love with Disney that she just doesn't care about anything. She just wants to go to Disney. She doesn't care who she has to, has to sweet talk into it. So we were there. We had a wonderful meal, and then... A number of friends came. You yeah, were, we were we all of them. At the very
1: they showed up very late because we were supposed, we were supposed to go to be there, together, meeting actually. all of us. That—that that was the thing. Oh, so what? And like I was
3: ladies Of evil, like the Pence rule.
1: No, of no. Jenna with a woman.
3: <laughs> no, the intention was—the intention was that we were all going to meet for dinner. That and then was I was the late. Intention. And God looks on the heart. That's it. That's, no. So no, but we had an incredible conversation. But it, to me, it was hilarious
2: to discover <laughs> that my constitutional lawyer friend Jenna has A thing about
3: Disney, you can take the girl out of Disney, you can't take Disney out
1: of the girl. But, but what what's so do. fun about these things and actually getting to know people for who they are, not just what they do yeah. in life, is that we should have happy, magical experiences all the time. We should love a pink sparkle. We should, like, I shared my story, my one of my favorite stories about President Trump on stage at the Freedom Center. You slept in, you're like, I'm not in the green room at the, the moment, right. you know, yes, where. I, anybody who knows me knows I love Pink Sparkle. I right. love Disney magic. Right. Princess culture, guys, it's a thing, right. and it's awesome. It right. should not be canceled. So I have this Pink Sparkle iPhone case. And long story short, I get on the phone somebody that the president wants to talk to, and I'm thinking I'm going to transfer this to like his office on Air Force One. And he's like, no, give me the phone. And imagine, if you will, Trump President Trump.
2: On the Pink Sparkle phone.
1: In the Air Force <laughs> One office, on the phone, talking, and does not care. And I'm sitting here going, I wish I had my phone. Obviously, Western
2: Civilization is about to fall, ladies and gentlemen. So,
1: do you have That's a picture right. of this? Because he was holding my phone, uh, I couldn't yeah, take a picture. That but I sense. wish. That but I wish. Sense. I have a mental picture, though. <laughs> That's awesome. That's I have
3: good. I a picture. I love yes.
1: it. Yes. Well, this is all the time I have, but I'm glad we got lighthearted. I'm glad that you now love Disney Springs. You understand the magic. That? that? we had an amazing experience with our friend right. Brad and some other people at yeah. Epcot in the American right. Adventure. And I'm so glad that you have joined us tonight and every night here on Just the Truth, where we will not cancel the conversations that matter, because we have to get down to the biblical truth of what's happening in our nation if we want to save it.